This episode is sponsored by VTech. Today's episode of Heads in the Cloud, Graham and I are joined by Jonathan Yarmus to talk disruptive technology, marathons, Howard Stern, Tom Brokaw, and much more. Stay tuned. We've got them all on there. Heads in the Cloud. With your hosts, David Portnowitz and Graham Potter. Today's episode of Heads in the Cloud. I'm David Portnowitz. I'm Graham Potter. And we are thrilled to be coming at you live from beautiful sunny Sarasota. Unbelievable. Beautiful weather. Fantastic, Fantastic weather. weather. You know, snowbirds are never going to go back. No, they're so, gone. I think. No, I don't think so. I think snowbirds. I don't know. Are, I think they're look gone. Look at all that bad weather up uh, up north. That I know. There's no incentive it's for people to go It's still snowing. There My buddy snow. who lives in Michigan sends me a picture the other night. They got like a foot of snow. In April 15th, he was like, he had his boat out. He's got his boat. He's ready to go boating. Can't go. Yeah, I can imagine that's, uh, he's going to have to make do with his snowblower instead. <laughs> you know, saddest moment when, when I left uh, Chicago all those years ago and I had to leave my, my uh, two-stage thrower behind and not a lot of call for that. So your set was when you left your snowblower. You yeah. could have brought your snowblower with yeah. you. Not a lot of call for snowblowers in Florida. But, but you could have just blown other things. But, you know, imagine a, a, an Englishman coming abroad all that way and then, and then being, you know, finding out I could buy this awesome tool that allowed me to throw snow legally 30 feet over my driveway into my neighbor's yard. <laughs> it was so much fun. Until you hit a frozen newspaper. Could have, like, uh, opened up a snowblower business in I Chicago. Yeah, I could have Instead done. of doing the whole uh, you know, Rockwell thing, boring, snowblower. Could have been a snowblower. I could have been. Could have been. Could have been. Well, we're really excited on today's episode. We're going to be joined by Jonathan yeah. Yarmus, who, um, if you haven't heard of him, he's a fantastic speaker. Yeah, speaks um, to a really large, group great, of great guy, um, and and an all around you know technologist known as Doctor Disruptive, and you'll find out why. You can find him on Twitter at uh, at J Yarmus or on LinkedIn. Um, you can go to his website, doc, uh, what is it? I think he's got his whole domain set up where he's got drdisruptive.com. I mean, the guy is awesome. So um, look forward to that conversation that we're going to have with Jonathan, um, really about his experience in the technology space, um, the, you know, from a disruptive standpoint, what's happening. And he talks a lot, he, you know, he talks a lot about UCAS and in that space too, because, you know, as, as we know, you know, companies want, Something that's not only unifying what you know what they're doing from a from a voice and, and 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 chat standpoint, but they want something that the employees can use for any type of mode of communication. So, um, you know, there's a lot of change in this space, and it continues to to evolve. But a really good conversation with Jonathan. I think you'll really enjoy it. Yeah, I think you got some uh, some cool questions for him as well. Yeah. <laughs> Rumor has it you've been doing a bit of digging. Yeah, I did a little. I did a little internet yeah, a little half half ass internet research. Nice. So. Uh, you know, we'll see what that comes. We'll see what it comes up with. Cool. Yeah, absolutely. Anything? What's going on in your world, Graham? How's oh, uh, how's life on your side? Pretty pretty busy. Lots yeah. going on. Yeah, can't tell you too much. But what do you mean you can't tell top, me? Top secret. You know, oh. I don't give too much too much of the game away. But uh, suffice to say, I've been working with your your people recently on, on a few things, <laughs> and, which you would expect. But uh, yeah, lots happening. Lots happening from a from a product perspective. Lots lots going on, which is always very uh, exciting. Exciting time for the company. Yeah. Obviously, with our uh, not too uh, too long ago, when we merged with uh, with Blueface, there's yep. a lot of things happening as a result of that, which make it uh, even more exciting. When you think back, we started this thing off all those years ago in 2006, and here we are today. 
Um, on a personal front, pretty uh, pretty lot of things going on there as well. So still Doing running? Still running. Still running. Where have you been running to? Oh, so keep, keep running. Always keep running. Something Running from something. Always. What kind of shoes do you run with? Uh, running shoes. But I mean, no, but what is the brand? Perhaps they'll send you a free pair if you start talking about them. I'm a... Uh, I'm actually a... You're a Brooks a guy, are you? A too heavy. I'm an A6 guy, yeah. yeah. Pretty much. I, I've got, I've got uh, multiple pairs of shoes. What about Nike? I have some Nike general wear shoes, but yeah. not running in. But my running All A6. Shoes. Racing racing flats are nice, uh, are A6, uh, lightweight, six-ounce shoes, and then I wear some uh, other ones for my general training. And then I actually bought a pair of, uh, you love this, retro shoes from uh, way back in the 80s when I used to run competitively and uh, had a pair of, when Reebok were a big name around at that stage. Well, I don't think Reebok's a small name. Um, they were acquired by Adidas uh, or Adidas, as you yeah. call it. That's uh, normal humans speak of it, yeah. In, no, as the rest of the world say Adidas. They say Adidas. But they moved more into the kind of general wear. Yeah. They went away from the specialised running wear, which they were very famous for in the 80s. And I got myself a pair of Reebok Paris. Ah. If you look it up, they're beautiful leather kind of suede almost feel to them. What size do you wear? I wear a size oh. nine and a half if they'd like to send us some. I'm actually nine and a half as well. <laughs> so Two nine it, and a half, that please. That makes it easy. Yes. It? Yeah, could, they, they could, don't have to. They don't have to. No, Fred, make sure we get a pair of those. Yeah. Two pairs of those, yeah. <laughs> what did you think about the uh, Boston Marathon? Yeah, I thought that was Two one of the, one sort of, the of unlikely winners. Very unlikely winners. The, the lady... Uh, Desiree, you know, she... Uh, American. She, did, she, well, she did a wonderful thing. I went back for one of her fellow runners who, yeah. who has to make the infamous bathroom uh, yeah. break on the, on the way. It happens to the best of runners. It's happened to me uh, before. Let's but, not talk about that. But, uh, no, we won't. But uh, the, the men's winner, you know, the, the previous winner from the year, from last year, kind of came on strong towards the end of the race. Galen Rupp, the, uh, the American expected right. winner, just blew up at mile 20. Looked like a gangster when he was running. He had a he had a head sock like we wear here when we're out fishing in Florida. Yeah. But every single elite runner was lined up with hats, gloves, and running jackets. I've never seen anything like and, it. And the gentleman who won it, Japanese uh, runner, runs about twelve marathons a year. But he's not really even a professor. He's not no, like he's, he's kind of like an administrator, like a, yeah. a school administrator or something. That's in- I've never heard about. I mean, ah, I've never seen anything like that. But. You know, He's run like a hundred marathons in the last well, five most, years. Most elite like runners run about two marathons a year. Yeah, uh, this, this guy, guy runs, runs 12. twelve, and he's around a two ten two. So how does how does he win? Runner. Just hard hard as nails, you know, and that's what that race came down to. But the conditions were not great. It was a lot of rain, cold, driving, driving rain, wind, yeah. everything. So a real test for for people's uh, stamina and just running into that stuff. You know what it's like when you've been yeah. yourself. Have you ever run the Boston Marathon? No. What, you should a, do it. I run the London. I ran the London in uh, uh, 89. Uh, I ran... Uh, the 1889? Uh, 19. Oh, okay. Yeah. Have you ever run a marathon? No, no. Uh, I've watched okay. uh, yeah. like a couple of minutes. Oh, okay. <laughs> but you'd be... I feel you'd I mean, be, how could I... I'm not going to sit there for two hours and watch a marathon. I, I mean, feel you'd be not... very supportive, though. You know, maybe yeah. one year when I run the uh, Sarasota Half Marathon... My wife can, has run the half marathon, sort of half look, marathon, I several times. Seeing you there on, on the, around the track, or around the course. Sure, and, absolutely. Uh, shouting a song. My sister in law is running the New York City marathon in, uh, in what is it, October, November. Yeah, one of our developers running it this year. Well, are you going to run it? Um, I doubt if I'll run it. Yeah, probably not. Yeah, I'll run some halves, probably a lot more. They don't allow a six or ultras. Ultras. <laughs> Be uh, getting in the old boys category next year. Yeah. So, yeah. Oof. Oof. <laughs>
right. next, next year I'm thinking about doing a double. I'm doing the Sarasota half marathon and I'm thinking of travelling a week after to uh, to the UK and running in the city of London. I thought you were going to do the Hong Kong one. Uh, that's a possibility, so, you know. Anyway, let's move on. We're boring our people. No, we're talking about marathons. This is a good oh, okay. topic. It's a good topic. Yeah, I think it's a okay. good topic. This is off, yeah, so off ne- kilter so for So next us. year, listeners, look out for me uh, in my 65th year uh, trying to run the double. So uh, uh, When you said you were going to a big year, I literally thought you were going. I thought it was 70. I'm going to be honest with you. Uh, 75, actually. <laughs> <laughs> uh, all right. Let's, how, old let's, you, how old are you, David? I'm. I'll be. Uh, I'll be 34 this. I'm 34. I'll be 35 this year. You want to get to 35? You want to mind your p's and q's, boy. So. <laughs> Are you that like a threat on my life? <laughs> Jeez, talk about a Wednesday. <laughs> All right, let's let's move on. Let's let's bring in Jonathan now, and uh, we'll see you on the other side. So, uh, without further ado, Mr. Jonathan Yarmus. All right, on today's podcast, Graham and I are joined by Jonathan Yarmus, a senior analyst at the Skills Connection, a.k.a. Dr. Disruptive. Jonathan, thank you for joining with us today. And what a wonderful title that is. <laughs> I, I appreciate that, and I owe a debt of gratitude to the client who gave me that name about 10 years ago. Yeah, tell us a little history on that name. Where does it come from? What, what, what's the story behind it? Yeah, well, I've been an analyst for almost 30 years around the business. Uh, And retrospectively, I looked at my career and said, you know, I've been working in disruptive technologies since the early days of the PC industry. So I went for a job at AMR Research, a small analyst firm that was subsequently acquired by Gartner. And they wanted to give me the title of the VP of Advanced and Emerging Technologies. And I said, no, 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 I want disruptive in the title. So it was Advanced, Emerging, and Disruptive Technologies. Well, I gave a presentation at their conference shortly after I joined. And at the reception, over a bar from across the way, a client who subsequently became a close personal friend yelled across the bar, hey, Dr. Disruptive. I literally went up to the hotel room that night, secured the domain name, and so for, for 10 years, I've been Dr. Disruptive. That's a great story. And what's the best part about being Dr. Disruptive? It, it, the best part is it gives me the freedom to say whatever the heck I want. You, yeah, I was going to say, you got the latitude there to kind of be kind of crazy and uh, it's just Dr. Disruptive, you know, don't worry about it. He's, uh, you yeah, know. Exactly, and it, it was my nature anyhow, but people would look at me and say, wow, who's this guy? Now they know who this guy is. Yeah, actually, I guess if you, if you, if you don't uh, come out and give people uh, the, the, the kind of disruptive piece, then people will feel... Yeah, you know, a little, a little uh, off-put by the fact that you're not being outrageous or not being uh, forthcoming with things. So, no, that's great. Gives you a lot of, uh, gives you a lot of freedom, I'm sure. And there's an old Chinese proverb uh, that I fully embrace, and it's "Tell the truth, then get out of town quickly." <laughs> been doing that. I've been doing that for 47 years, Jonathan. So, you know, you, you got you got an old guy here, and you got a young guy next to me. So, this is. Uh, this is how we've played this, so it's, it's been uh, been interesting. Rumor also uh, has it that you were a, a Gartner guy um, yeah. some considerable time ago. You I, can't I, escape that. I so. heard you were like Gartner employee number 54 or something really? like that. Something like oh. that, yeah. yeah. Something like that. I, I joined in 1987, 
when it was about a $15 million company and wow. spent 10 years there, at the end of which it was nearly a billion dollars. So I'll, I'll take a fair amount of yeah, credit. I, I would, I would take all the credit for that, Jonathan, if I were you. We know lots of people at Gartner, um, good, good personal friends of mine that I worked with over the years and uh, a number of uh, folks from Gartner that, that I got uh, to know very well in my, in my rock all days. So uh, great. Good, uh, good story. Yeah, it was a remarkable time to be there. I can I mean, imagine. It, it was the confluence of technology emerging into a, a wonderful space, a great group of people to work with, the best of the best, and a visionary management led by Gideon, who really was making it up as we went along, but grew a great company, and I've had lifelong friendships out of it. Sure. We've yeah. talked to quite, I feel like we talked to quite a few ex-Gartner folks who always rave about their experience there, who always talk about the friendships they've made and the and sort of the, the mentorship that was there that was available to them. So it definitely sounds like a, a fantastic company. And as Graham was saying, you know, we've had, or we still do maintain a, a close relationship with the Gartner team, especially on the UCAS space and on the contact center space. Yeah, even um, down, even down, I mean, obviously things like LinkedIn and what have you, but yeah. even down to Facebook, you know, yeah. there are a lot of, a lot of uh, people that I class as, uh, as friends on, on Facebook that are uh, from that, uh, from that world and from, well, from the Gart- Gartner world, but also from the analyst community at large. So. so Jonathan, tell us a little bit about what you're up to now. What are you doing now and kind of, you know, what, what makes you tick today? Well, a couple of things. One, the, the great thing about technology, I still keep my hat in on the analyst side focused on disruptive technologies. And there's never been a boring day. I started working in technology in, uh, God, I hate to say it, but about 39 years ago. And I don't think there's ever been a boring day. I kind of joke, my sister sells soap products for Procter & Gamble. And I go, the last meaningful advance in that industry occurred in about the year 600. <laughs> Put soap in water, shake. And, and the chemistry of the soap may have changed and the mechanics of the shaking have changed. But it's an industry that's been unchanged for 1,500 years where we reinvent ourselves every decade or so. And, and that makes for an exciting environment. So these days, I look at a lot of the extensions, things like Internet of Things, augmented reality, all sorts of things that are really changing the way we work and play and communicate. I was, I was going to say with each other, but with each other and with machines. Yeah. So uh, of those things that you're looking at today, they're disruptive. What are the most, what, I guess, what are the most um, relevant to today's space? Like, what, what are the things that you think are coming quicker than others? I mean, we've been hearing about augmented reality now for a couple of years. I haven't really seen it been used very practically yet. I mean, I've seen demos of it. I've seen, you know, I could put my phone up at the sky and, and on an airplane and maybe see what they, you know, there's little things you can do here or there, but it's, it's not really, it's not pervasive in our everyday life. Like, what are the, some of the things that you think are coming like over the next year to 18 months to 24 months? Yeah, let, let me challenge something you said right there. And this is something that I certainly am guilty uh, as a prognosticator of generally being over-enthusiastic in the the near term. But the amazing thing about it is if you look back at some of this stuff, we actually end up being conservative in the medium term. So, yeah, these things don't take a straight line, and we've been talking about it. you You say it's been a couple of years. 
you know, in, in the grand scheme of things, a couple of years is nothing. <laughs> and yeah, you know, we we overstate it in the short term, but in the intermediate term, we are it's going to be pervasive. And and so I, I think we're going to see this stuff because there there are clear absolute use cases. I I look at all of the things, and a lot of it comes from the fact that there are a variety of things that come together nearly simultaneously that are seemingly disconnected, but when linked together, amplify what they do. So as an example, kind of the last wave, if you will, of disruptive technologies was social, mobile, analytics slash big data, and cloud. Mm -hmm. And in the early days, people questioned whether those were the platforms. And even if they were, what did big data have to do with social? And, and where did analytics fit in that? And what's cloud anyhow? Are we really going to give up on premises? But all of those things coming together have made, enabled business models that are truly disruptive and changing things. So I think at the same time, you know, it's not just augmented reality, but ubiquitous connectivity, data and insights and so on that all come together as they mature simultaneously, we will see significant impact. And I think there are compelling use cases. So um, looking at some of the, the write-up here in your bio, um, Jonathan, I see you've, you've had some experience working with those newfangled items called modems, some of those uh, 110 and 300 volt modems that uh, are, are groundbreaking technology that we played around with in the... Uh, in the in the kind of early '80s and what have you, so you're you're a man of my uh, my own my own world. I, I work with all of that stuff. Far cry from uh, far cry from where we are today. Just working with green screens, pre pre windows, pre you know networks as we know them today. Just fascinating. So, any comments to to share with our audience on the, on that world that you were involved in way back when? Yeah, you know the the interesting thing, uh, you know, is. Having been involved in this stuff, you know, I, I'm proud to say that I've never really worked with legacy systems you know, because I think that so often constrains the way people think. Yeah, and agree. having always been in the disruptive space, I, you know, I think any new technology, we go through a couple of phases of adoption. And the first one is there's a new technology and it's embraced by people outside of the mainstream then the mainstream people come in and begin to use the technology to do existing things better, faster, cheaper. And then someday some smart person who initially is viewed as some lunatic says, and what are the things we can't do, you know, we can now do that we couldn't have done before? And that's where we get the significant step change in function. And so I think one of the things I've been fortunate is the legacy systems have always been things I look at is, you know, gee, if there's a significant installed base, it means we must be doing something wrong. And what are the things we need to change because of these new capabilities? Sure. And and where do you see that today? I mean, like what 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 of those technologies that are that quote unquote legacy systems do you see being disrupted in the next like 10, 15 years? Well, I, I think this whole notion of unified communications is something that, you know, you, you talk about something where the, the promise is greater than the reality, but where are we headed with unified, and I, I may use 
you know, in addition to unified, another U term, ubiquitous. So right. when we've got unified and ubiquitous com- you know, communications, like uh, being a gadget player, I'm sitting in a house right now where I've got two Amazon Echo devices and one Google Home device. Do they, they get along? Yeah, do they, they talk to each other? Do they get along? <laughs> hey, I was dry. I was... I've, in fact, tried to do that on occasion to get them to converse with each I, other. I had the most bizarre experience I've got to share with you, Jonathan and, and David. I was driving my car the other day, and I was talking to Google in the car, and my wife's phone started responding simultaneously to my commands. So not only was my Android picking up on it and, and doing things through the car, but my wife's was as well. And I thought, that's kind of cool because... It's not an easy accent to, to get and, and what have you. And, and, and I, do, I do sometimes get quite angry with it. I mean, it, was, it, was, uh, it was giving us double directions. So two for the price of one. No, they can't so be just dead. a wonderful example of technology and how it works today. So. Yeah, and I, I live in an apartment building, and my neighbor must wonder who this woman Alexa is that I get so frustrated with and speak with a, <laughs> such a disdainful tone of voice. I love Alexa. I got to tell you something. I use it every day. Yeah, your boy talks to it. Uh, yeah, I got a three-year-old. He he can get Alexa to do things. He yeah. like screams. He's like Alexa. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I think it's but great. I, but I also, you know, we're we're just scraping the surface on that. I I am suspicious of the claims made by both Google and Amazon that they are not always listening and they're not doing things uh, with the information they're hearing in the background. So, for instance, there will be times. I'll get a display ad in my browser and I'll go, how did it know to present that? I haven't Googled it. I haven't gotten emails about it, but I talked about it. And are they listening and passing that information along? Let me ask you a question, though, because I I have a position on this. But does that bother you? I mean, like, I I just assume today that that everything I'm saying is probably being recorded by someone somewhere. I'm like, it, it doesn't bother me. I mean, like, I just... I just assume that's the case. I don't know. Maybe I, I don't know. I, I, I agree with you. Not only does it not bother me, it frustrates me how bad they are at using the information. <laughs> they should have known that already. Absolutely. I would pay for them to know that. <laughs> you know, I mean, I, I travel a lot, and I'm waiting someday for a hotel. Instead of having a basket of fruit in my room, I weigh 265 pounds. Do I look like I'm a basket of fruit eater? <laughs> Why don't they have baseball tickets there? Yeah, baseball tickets. Or you walk into a men's clothing store and there's already a rack of clothes there waiting for you when you walk in the door with ideas of things that you might want to wear and or music choices if you walk into a into a music. I mean, like Minority all, Report. Yeah, you can do all kinds of cool stuff. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. I'm in. I'm in for preempt, that. Preemptive preemptive uh, purchasing. I'll hook my whole brain up to the network. So, Go for it. I whatever. Think you whatever. Well, you yeah, want. it might be fairly limited. <laughs> <laughs> So, so Jonathan, I have to ask you about a, 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 oh, a specific story, story oh, Jonathan. No. I have been a little birdie told me that there was a moment where you were walking on stage to talk to Tom Brokaw, and you may or may not have fallen, and and a bunch of stuff fell out. And what did Tom? What did Tom say to you? Something, I think, funny from what I've heard. Well, it, it wasn't just Tom Brokaw. It was Tom Brokaw, Bill Gates. 7,000 people in the audience <laughs> and a webcast. Oh, big style then. Doing it big. You're like the Jennifer Lawrence of the technology world. Right. And I'm coming from off stage and it's dark back there. 
and I stumbled over the video cable. And so I arrive on stage on my hands and knees, and, and this was in the early mid-90s, so uh, you know, ubiquitous wearable kind of technology wasn't that common. But, uh, you know, my Palm Pilot and a pager, that's how long ago it was, so <laughs> flying out of my pocket. Of course, I have to crawl to pick them up, and Brokaw's, like, waiting for me so the interview can begin, and he realizes <laughs> he's got to fill the airtime somehow. And he goes, well, I've gotten to know Jonathan, and thank God he brought only some of his stuff, or <laughs> otherwise we'd be here for the rest of the afternoon. Oh, nice, nice segue. And so, yeah, I, I can feel my cheeks flushing even now from the memory. <laughs> so, is that the first? Is that have you, have you been on other panels and discussions with like people like Bill Gates? I mean, what, what's what's talking to him like? Oh, he's one of the most fascinating people. And yes, not only have I interviewed him on stage a couple of times, I also interviewed for a senior position at Microsoft that necessitated talking to Gates. And in the beginning, we're having this really thought-provoking conversation, and he's famous for kind of his rocking when he's engaged. Yeah. So he's rocking back and forth, and I'm sitting there thinking, wow, things are going great. And then at one point, he stops rocking, and I'm thinking uh -oh. to myself, oh, my God, say something provocative <laughs> so I can get him rocking again. <laughs> Yeah, that must be, that's probably more nerve-wracking than falling on the stage, geez. Yeah, and, and the other time it was interesting, in the early internet days, I was interviewing him and Jim Barksdale, the CEO of Netscape, up on stage together. And I knew that not only was there obviously a significant professional competition between the two of them, but there was personal animosity. But these guys were well-trained, and for the first half hour, you would have thought they were business partners. So I'm sitting there thinking, what, what can I do to get them to expose the differences? And so I was talking to Gates about the history of people who had arisen to challenge Microsoft, whether it was Lotus, whether it was Novell, and, and got on to Netscape. And then I turned to Barksdale and said, well, in the remaining three weeks you have as Microsoft's <laughs> interest in competition, what would you like your legacy to be? And as, as you might imagine, he took some umbrage to that and made some pointed comments. And Gates then turned around and made some, uh, I, I'd say, leaps of faith about what Microsoft was going to be able to do, whereupon Barksdale turned to the audience, again, you know, five to 7,000 people at Gartner's Symposium, and made kind of the gagging motion in his mouth. And I'm sitting there thinking, yeah, this is now great. we've got it. Yeah, this <laughs> People would pay for that kind of uh, thing now if something like that happened between like Google and Amazon or yeah. Tesla or someone like that. Uh, but how does that compare then with you playing chess with Howard Stern? Because I've heard that's also a thing. Well, we get all these things from, David. Where are you finding all these facts out from? He, I, have, I have my sources. He's obviously done a lot of research on you, Jonathan. I feel a little inadequate, but there we go. go yeah. You know, I, I always describe the success Gartner had as Gideon Gartner had an apartment in New York City for a number of years where the person who lived Two floors below him was Regis Philbin, and the person who lived one floor, floor below him was Howard Stern. And, you know, I had heard Howard do a segment that he was talking about playing chess, and I knew Gideon was a chess player, and I mentioned to it, and Gideon's there, oh, yeah, I play with Howard regularly. <laughs> and, and one time 
you know, I was meeting with Gideon right before he had a meeting with Howard, and something came up where Gideon had to take this call while Howard was there, and he is there. You know, why don't you play, you know, un- until I'm available? And, and the frustrating thing of it was Howard's actually a good chess player and, and beat me handily. Oh, nice. <laughs> I wonder what Magic Quadrant uh, Howard was trying to get into at that time. Yeah, probably trying to push or something. There's obviously some. Beating an analyst is not a way to fare well in Magic Quadrant. So in our, sa- our upcoming SAS day, we shouldn't, like, sit down and bring a chessboard out and yeah. be like, here oh. we go. I think it breaks the it's good loser, loser goes to the niche quadrant. Yeah. <laughs> loser. Yep. Or just tell the analyst how smart and good looking they are. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> uh Jonathan, this I, we could go on for hours. This is good this is good stuff, so uh but I want to be cognizant of your time. Um we have a we have a little segue here that we always like to uh to get into to finish this up on a lighter note for yeah. our for our audience. Because this has been such a heavy conversation. It, it has been. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, David, I, I'll, I'll leave with this. Da- David it, always sure. likes to find out whether any of our uh, uh, folks that we interview have a, have a pet of some description. We've had all kinds of different things over the years, from chinchillas to I like how you said over worms. the years, like you've oh, made yeah, a podcast. Like well, it's in- internationally acclaimed. We've been doing this for a long time. But, um, we've had... Uh, chinchillas, chinchillas, worms, we, we were talking to, to a gentleman. Rabbits. From uh, from a company in Hong Kong recently, who had a rabbit, and uh, the rabbit had a name, and yeah. checked into a hotel. We had a worm recently, a, a worm, worm that yeah. was on a, a sky rise building, so obviously wasn't afraid of heights. So um, <laughs> you got any, any pets? Anything? Any pets you've got, Jonathan? You can share. Well, right now I am pet free. The the uh, triple disadvantage of living in an apartment, being single, and traveling with some regularity. I do, however have a stuffed animal, an <laughs> elephant named Ellie, who is 59 years old. Wow. I got him when I was three years old. I fell out of bed, and I was then apparently and remain to this day a heavy sleeper. I fell out of bed, split my chin open, eventually necessitating three stitches, but I didn't wake up, and I'm laying on the floor in you know wooden floor in my room, laying in a puddle of blood. My mother walks in in the morning, sees this, screams, which is what woke me up, and... They stitched me up, and in honor of my bravery, my mother gave me Ellie the elephant. And you still have it. You still got it. Some surgery, but it, at six, 59 years old, it's still going strong. That's, wow. that's unbelievable. Next story. time Antiques Roadshow comes through, you should see so what it's I, worth. I got a deep and dark secret I'm going to share oh, with you, David, Jesus. that you're not over before. So I got I got a tiny little bear from when I was a tiny uh, a tiny kid years and years ago, right? I'm going to bring it in. It can be on the next podcast that we do. And how about that? So what is the name of this bear? It, um, you know, I don't, I don't know. Is he, he, is he really had a bear, a name? Um, but uh, <laughs> I, I, think, uh, I think I'll bring it in. It's like an antique. It an really antique is. bear. Like, you know, you move it around. It looks like the legs. wind it up. Afraid. No, no, no. Nothing like that. No, no. like we're talking about years ago. Not, well, not, they had uh, things that wind up years ago. No, not that many years ago. It's not technology, man. There's nothing has to be all sort of super technology. This is I, really old oh school, old school <laughs> tiny bear. You know, uh, so, oh, that's a wonderful story, right. Jonathan. You know, I, I love the Ellie the elephant. That's awesome. So we can uh, we can talk about that with uh, with pride. But we appreciate you spending the time with us. And uh, thanks so much. And we'd love to have you back on the show in the future, Jonathan. Good, I'd love that. Thanks, guys. Thanks. Thank you. We'll talk Thank to you, you soon. so much. Bye bye. This episode is sponsored by VTech.
When you choose Star to Star MVTech for your communication needs, you get more than just a phone system. You're building a relationship with two telecommunications market leaders. No matter what your communication needs, VTech offers a comprehensive and diverse portfolio of desktop, mobility, and conference devices that scale from small offices to enterprise-level corporations. Peace of mind is important to you, and that's why VTech supports your business and Star to Star with North America-based support professionals that truly understand your market to give you the support you need. To learn more about partnering with Star to Star and VTech, visit startostar.com and vtechphones.com. Well, that was a fun interview with Jonathan. What yeah, a great guy. Great guy. It sounds, I think he could have been going for, for hours. I'm pretty sure we could have done that interview. I mean, I didn't get to half the questions I wanted to get to, no. but I want to well, be respectful of his time. You did some digging and some homework there. Yeah, I got a little uh, source on cool Mr. Jarvis. So. I had a little, I had yeah. a little uh, yeah. inside source there. But yeah, you, you know what? We'll have to have him back on the podcast. Yeah, he, he, I'd love to see him speak as well. It sounds like he's yeah. to some pretty large audiences. Bring him in to star to star. So that'd be good. Yeah, yeah it'd be cool. kind of cool to talk to. So yeah, that'd be Talk to some real interesting, famous people as well. Yeah. Guys, you know, he's, got, he's cool. got some stories. Yeah. yeah. You got any stories, Graham? None that I can share with you. But uh. <laughs> <laughs> All right, well, uh, thanks for joining us on today's episode of uh, Heads in the Cloud. Yeah, another fun episode. Absolutely. And you and are? I mean, I'm me. Who are you? Oh, I'm me as well. So you can't me. both be me. So. <laughs> you can't both be me. <laughs> I'm David Portnowitz. I'm Grant Potter. Thanks for joining us on Heads, Heads, Heads the Clown. Clown.